Welcome to IECL CoachCast, Leading in Crisis series. Leadership in the post-pandemic world has never been more vital. What leaders pay attention to and act on in the next few years will have a profound impact on our economy and society for generations to come. In this series, we take a deep dive into what leadership means today through the eyes of some of our most experienced and influential CEOs, executives, and thought leaders, tracking perspectives on leadership in the years pre-COVID through the months of the pandemic and what's changed for them and what leadership needs to be at this most significant inflection point in time. In this episode, Gabrielle Schroeder speaks with CEO of GrowthOps, Clint Cooper, a chartered accountant by training. Clint specialized in corporate insolvency with KPMG before diversifying into a progression of challenging executive roles in industry. After leading the performance turnaround of Freeman's insurance services and setting them back on a path of sustainable growth, he joined Cricket Victoria over a five-year tenure as CFO and COO. Clint oversaw the organization's contemporary rebrand, reinvigorated its commercial platform, and strengthened financial and governance processes, ensuring the ongoing success of one of Australia's oldest and most respected sporting institutions. In 2011, Clint established Cricket Victoria's pioneering 2020 Big Bash League Club, the Melbourne Stars. In October last year, he was appointed to his current position as CEO and MD of GrowthOps, a holding company combining the complementary capabilities of its creative and digital agencies with the coaching and leader development services provided through IECL. Let's welcome them both. So Clint, welcome to CoachCast by IECL. Um, I must say it's a great pleasure to have you here face-to-face uh, after many months of uh, lockdown in Victoria. So I hope you're enjoying your time in Sydney. Certainly am, and thanks very much for inviting me into this wonderful podcast. Wonderful. So um, let's start with defining what leadership means to you. So on your LinkedIn profile, you highlight that as an executive leader, you're not just building a business, uh, you're leading a philosophy. Tell us more about that. What is your leadership philosophy? Very good question. I think it's something that has evolved over time and I, I, I feel like it, it, it needs to be adaptable to the organisation, the situation you're fa- facing. Um, I think uh, the last 12 months, if we focus in on that, that's um, been one of the uh, most challenging leadership uh, roles that I've had and adapting to not only different changes uh, in an organisation and the financial health of an organisation, but really rebuild building a culture, I suspect, is probably the most challenging thing um, of any leadership. Um, but my philosophy is really about people. I think that um, in, in any leadership capacity, if you don't have the support, confidence and trust of your people, then you're not really doing your job as a leader. And I work pretty hard at doing that and instilling that confidence. I think the other, the, the other real important part is ensuring people, despite how tough things may be, do have fun coming to work. They want to come to work. They want to enjoy the environment and, and build something together. Um, I certainly have never seen myself as a leader that sits at the top of the tree and demands and commands, but more of a, 
a collaborative leader that sits there alongside in the trenches with everybody and, and really trying to get an outcome. Mm, fantastic. Um, and I think we'll, we'll talk, touch a little bit on uh, the last 12 months in particular um, a little further on in the interview, but I want to start um, uh, perhaps um, a little further back in your career. Uh, so you've had a, a really stellar career, um, largely in the sort of very um, hyper-competitive world of sport. Um, and there's, I think, an enormous amount that we can learn from that. Um, but if I can get you to cast your mind back to 2011, uh, when you moved from your role as CFO and Chief Operating Officer at Cricket Victoria to be the first CEO of Melbourne Stars. Um, how did you... Um, feel about landing that role? I was scared stiff. Um, the way I, I found out about the role, Gab, was um, a board meeting of the Cricket Victoria and had done interviews and the like and um, the chairman started the meeting by saying, and, and congratulations, you, uh, you'll be running the team that we think will play at the MCG, doesn't have a, a colour, doesn't have a name and your coach is going to be Greg Shippard, who ended up being a really great friend of mine. Um, so it was daunting, you know, uh, having been a bean counter my, most of my life and um, sort of tipping into the sponsorship and commercial world. I was excited, but obviously very daunted by what was about to occur. We didn't have a lot of resources. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, but the first thing that we did was go and find a, an impressive board, which included Eddie McGuire and John Wiley, to name a few. And I think that's, that's where I sort of built that probably false confidence in the first instance that I had the backing of these two guys that would uh, certainly guide me through what would be a pretty tumultuous couple of years around building a club and building a, essentially a franchise and a, and, a, and a supporter base that was the largest in the competition. Um, I think, again, I think as a, I was, you know, 10 years ago is a long time, uh, a long time ago, and I, I certainly uh, know a lot now about myself and uh, the, the depth of what you need to go to to build a club, but a culture, not just on field, but off field. Um, I was very, having known cricket for a while, and the, the, I suppose the uh, the administrators versus the players, there was there was that tension. It was always about how do we bring the two together, and the, the the players were treated equally as our staff, and the staff equally as our players. And I think that paid off immensely over the journey for for my time there. In that. Whether you were a social media contact coordinator, you were respected and treated exactly the same as if you were the captain or international recruit that came in. And, and the players particularly really bought into that and saw the club as a family. You know, the, the players genuinely loved coming back to the family every year um, to enjoy that next journey together. And we had a lot of fun on the way too. Um, I find that absolutely fascinating because, um, you know, in, in sport, you know, it's, it, it is um, so competitive. And so when you think about performance and performance of an organisation, um, you know, um, um, particularly sport, you know, it's very public. Um, you know, on the day it's win or lose, black or white, you know, um, high stakes often. So, you know, if you're a losing team, that often flows, you know, right to the bottom line. So how do you create uh, this, you know, a performance culture in that kind of high stakes context yeah geez big question to answer um i think players or, or sports people by their nature are a competitive beast they want to be the best and so the best way to get peak performance is creating an environment or a culture where they're relaxed and they enjoy their time so it's not 
not a task to come to work for them. It's not a task to come to training. It's not a task to do a media performance. It's actually something they, they love and enjoy. I think building that um, camaraderie and creating an environment very different to every other club that was um, at the time, um, they, they loved coming to work and win, lose or draw, they, they had a good time. One of the other really, in, in, in such a high-pressure game, you know, the hardest thing about being a leader of a sports team is you can do everything um, off the field right. You can get the most sponsors, the most attendees, the most best marketing. But the moment they walk across that white line, you've got absolutely no control on the outcome, which is extremely hard to stomach. And I spent many a time downstairs in the car park of the MCG doing laps during games because I just couldn't... Uh, couldn't stand it, to be honest. So you, you didn't watch the game? Didn't watch you? a lot of them, no. no. I, particularly when they got tense, I would be often found roaming the car park by myself. But uh, I, I, as an aside, it was um, it, the, the whole club joined in the celebration and the whole club actually joined in when we didn't win too. Mm. But the most important thing is we put the, as a club, on field and off, we'll put the losses behind us very, very quickly. There was very... And that was led by such an amazing coach that we had that filtered the whole organisation. But being able to um, share the pain, I think, right across that organisation made us bigger and stronger and, and more resilient. So so there's, um, I mean, the, the performance on the field and then there is all that surrounds the game. So often in these, you know, sort of high-profile organisations, um, you know, you have a risk profile that's quite different to other organisations. And so I'm, I'm going to, you know, particularly um, player behaviour and conduct risk. And, you know, um, we've seen over the last little while, you know, successive kind of royal commissions indicating that, you know, there's very little um, tolerance in the community for, um, you know, um, misdemeanours and, and, you know, the buck falls squarely on the board and the executive. Um, very difficult to um, manage and control behaviour. So talk to us a little bit about culture and, 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 and how you kind of navigate that, that very kind of, you know, tricky situation of, of supporting, you know, an organisation that, that is um, managing that risk. With a lot of fear <laughs> is probably the, the first answer. But um, you, I think... People underestimate sports people particularly. They're, they're exceptional, talented people. Um, they are high-performing. They, they ride the highs and they ride the lows. But on the whole, most of them are very good, genuine, kind-hearted people that know right from wrong. Right? You, and you, you end up dealing with the, the, the issues by exception if you can actually create the expectations of what it means to be part of this club. And, or the organisation at that time. We had, you know, we had Eddie Maguire, who's very well-renowned, outspoken president, um, extremely influential, um, and that was a really good guiding stick for the club. You know, Ed has very high public standards for his other affiliation with the Collingwood Football Club. So it was almost like, well, well, we don't want to upset Eddie either as a playing group, and so that's a bit, bit of a tone. But you need the players to actually buy into what that culture is. You need to. <clears throat> We, needed, we did everything we possibly could to ensure that the, the, the way that they came into the stars and the way they exited the stars, whether they exited as a player or, a, um, or retired, was exactly the same. So they still have that same connection. And, and that's largely driven by the playing group and the senior executives of any organisation that sets that tone. Everybody treated fairly. Everybody understands what the common goal is. Um, but building um, 
the expectations early in any given season and, you know, admittedly reminding players what the expectations were was a, a very strong part of our induction process every single year. Cricket, for example, is, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, anti-corruption issues that surround the game, so very ensuring every single year that our education was up to scratch. Mm. Um, but, you know, you do deal with some high-stakes um, personalities and some large egos, but, you know, on the whole, generally in my time, that was pretty good. Um, the lesson I learnt, though, was pretty early on the piece that Eddie never wanted to, to read anything on the front paper of the Herald Sun, um, so it didn't matter what time of night that I called him if there was any particular issues, but thankfully I didn't need to do that. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, it's definitely a you know a very good kind of um, way of sharpening the focus. You know, that sort of headline on the the front of the paper the next morning. Um, <laughs> nothing better. So, look, um, fast track to two thousand nineteen, um, and so um, in I think around June, the Stars and Renegades merge operations under Cricket Victoria, and and you know you you received a great deal of praise for the legacy that you built and that you'd left um, at the time. And I'm imagining that you were looking forward to a. a, a decent break after 10 years um, and then of course you get offered this role at Growth Ops um, so I'm interested to hear firstly what compelled you to take on that role. I was enjoying uh, a good break it was you know uh, in that sports game whilst the games only go for you know, six to eight weeks during a season it's it's pretty full on for 12 months of the year so it was guys nice to let the hair down a bit reacquaint myself with my family and I suppose I was, I was uh, at, at, from the outset, I was interested in staying in sport. There's something about sport and leadership and management that you, you, you struggle to find in any other, you know, I've been an accountant, I've been an accounting firm. You don't get that passion that you do in a sports club. So I was keen, but I also thought, well, where I am now, I'm, the skill sets that I've developed and the opportunities that I've been presented, there's, there's a bigger world out there. So I was open to a lot more opportunities than just closing in on a sport. Not to say I wouldn't go back to sport at some point in the future. Um, and then it was just, you know, this job appealed initially um, because it was a startup. It sort of, for me, it sounded like there was, well, based on the um, representations that were made to me at the time, it was a startup. There was lots of opportunity for this business to grow. Um, it, we're looking for somebody that can, you know, build a culture, who's interested in commercials, who wants to get their hands dirty. Why not? Didn't know a lot about the the industries that we currently are in, and um, but you, you never say no to an opportunity because you don't know everything about it. And I think the best thing coming into this role is I probably went back to my sweet spot of accounting and finance and insolvency background early on in the, the couple of months here at Growth Ops. But um, it was a, a a job that sort of appealed on the basis that there was a lot of variety in things that I could learn and continue to learn push forward 12 months and it's um you know it's probably been one of the best rides of my uh entire life um being able to make meaningful decisions that are impactful and being accountable for those decisions um it's been uh, breathtaking mm. um and and, and it, you start challenging yourself as a as a leader you know because you don't have the backup of anybody else you're the guy mm. right um but i have got an amazing executive team, an amazing practice leadership team that have been incredibly supportive and made the job exceptionally easy. So so you are talking about a, effectively a turnaround situation. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, did, did, did that context change the way you, you know, focused and led um, the business as compared to, you know, the, the history that you had with, um, with the stars? 
Yeah, it, it did. It was certainly that, that eye-opener in the first um, month or so. You know, when you at the stars, you were starting something from complete scratch, so everything you're doing was new. And it was all about growth and excitement and razzle-dazzle. And here there was some fundamental issues that needed to, to be corrected and, and um, understood and, and go forward. And, and the decisions or actions that you were taking weren't necessarily... Um, welcomed by everybody, but they were necessary decisions they need to make. So I think what I what I learned very quickly is the leadership style that I had in the stars was going to be very different to what ultimately came across into growth ops. Um, we needed to be incredibly de- decisive um, early on, but very empathetic, um, and then build relationships. I think if there's anything that I, I pride myself on over the journey has been building strong relationships with key stakeholders and people. And whilst coming into an industry that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a creative or I wasn't a coach or I wasn't um, a digital native, um, but being able to build that relationship on a different level has mm-hmm. certainly paid off and something that I, to this day, and will continue to work really hard on ensuring that is the, the mantra of my leadership. So yeah, I look, you know, um, given my role here, I've had the benefit of observing some of the things that you've um, had to deal with, um, really hard, complex people and organisational problems, um, really difficult to solve. And in the middle of it, I know too, you've had some very difficult personal circumstances to deal with as well. So, you know, as a leader, you know, you're managing the ups and downs of life um, and you're also carrying a significant weight of leading a company and, and the impact of those decisions that you have to make mm. um, on on people. So, you know, how do you steel yourself for that? How do you... And what does performance look like in that in that context? Well, performance in that context early on was survival. Um, and as difficult as those early decisions were, you probably couldn't find... There wasn't another alternative, unfortunately. Um, but being able to make those decisions um, and set the organisation up, we, if we hadn't have made those decisions, COVID has come and probably we would have been gone too. Um, so I, I think you, it's hard to put a, you know, an exact um, label on it, but I think um, the decisiveness and the need to concurrently build relationships, is it's almost two opposite things coming together because mm. on the one hand you're trying to build trust, I'm a new guy, I want to lead you through. On the other hand, you're having to make some decisions that are, uh, you know, completely opposite to that. Mm. Um, but I feel, you know, I feel immensely confident going forward that um, the hard work that everybody's done collectively has set this company onto the path that it needs to be. Mm. Um, and I'm immensely proud of that. But even more, I suppose, on self-reflection over the last, uh, just before the AGM, thinking about what the year's been like and what are the ups and downs. And it's funny, you, you forget about the downs. You start do focusing on the ups, and there has been lots of ups. And I think that's what builds the, you know, the, the fire in your belly to, to go further. And seeing some amazing uh, acts of kindness and transparency across the organisation and people doing that extra yard over some of the most difficult periods and not just in a professional capacity but in a personal capacity. Um, and I think coming out of this, it's I said to someone the other day, I feel like whilst our organisation was you know, disparate when we first came in, COVID and the changes that have made us somehow weirdly made us closer despite being apart. Mm. Um, and I think we've got something very special to build upon that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the common experience that we've all had, but of course, it's not 
precisely common. Um, you know, the COVID hit um, different states in different ways and different countries in different, different ways. Different countries, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you're based in Melbourne and, and, you know, have had to deal with, um, you know, an extraordinary um, set of circumstances through uh, the lockdown. Um, so it's not only, it's layer upon layer, isn't it, in terms of dealing with this particular crisis. There's the, you know, the context that you're dealing with, um, the the um, um, uncertainty of it all. Um, in the business, you're having to, you know, lead people through a very, very difficult and challenging period. And they're all going through the similar ups and downs that we, you know, that yeah. we all are as leaders. Um, so, you know, when you're looking at... Um, the, the qualities of leadership through a circumstance like that. What what, what have you observed of yourself and, and perhaps of, of others that you've observed? Uh, I think I've found um, probably a level of strength that I never thought I had before, like mental strength, because you, you are dealing with, you know, sitting in a, a very small room at home with two screaming kids most of the day um, and trying to manage the positivity of an organisation of 400 people across six countries from a very small bedroom um, was challenging, but it also, I think I it opened my mind to what the actual opportunity was. And I really, I took more pride in, in trying to connect with people one-on-one, which you can do in the office environment. You can walk around and check on everybody, but you know, every single day throughout the, throughout COVID, I was pinging people on Slack or text messages and just had a rotating board, if you like, to try and yeah, build that personal connection that I am here and I am thinking and I am genuine. I genuinely care about your welfare. So I think that to me has been the most important thing. How important the mental health of our staff are during situations like this, but even more so going forward. You know, it's such an integral integral part of uh, work life balance. Yeah. Um, so I think I've, I certainly found that. I think um, one of the catchphrases. Um, or catchphrases, one of the sayings early on was that we needed to act with resilience. And I think, you know, the resilience shown by everybody in this organisation has been first class, but I think I probably found myself at a, a high level of resilience that I even thought I had because you were dealing with multiple issues across multiple timeframes without the counsel of anybody to just talk to. Um, but I have some great um, colleagues that I can, you know, uh, pick up the phone and have a rant every now and then, which was was good. I think the last thing too we talked we talked a little bit before about you know that steel you know how do you steel yourself for making those big changes you, you, throughout this process particularly you know a lot a lot of thought has gone into it you know you're just a, a different level of thinking um, uh, you know you never ever want people to lose their jobs or their livelihoods or anything like that so the ability to think through a um, a problem or a situation because nine times out of ten that first solution is not the right solution it might be the easiest solution or the fastest solution so really taking the time to consider and sometimes um, I can I'm sure some of my um, executive team would be frustrated in the times that I took to make certain decisions but I think that extra time gave me the confidence that a decision was right or what path I ultimately took. Mm. Yeah, and I look and, and I know this has been a theme throughout your career. Is um, the the thing that that people really do recognise in you is is your uh, honesty and and you know the candid way in which you approach problems and that you will talk them through. Um, and I love this idea of you know actually seeing a problem right through to the end. Um, um, you know, which is something that I've absolutely observed in you. So, in thinking about the most recent experience, how has that? Um, changed your 
philosophy on leadership, if at all? I think it's it's a really good question, Gab. I think it's probably what it's confirmed is leadership isn't a, it's not just a steady state. It's got to continue to evolve and evolve to the situation or the mandate or whatever is occurring in the organisation. But I think as a people, we've become more empathetic, and that's not just in our organisation, but everywhere. I think there's this certain level of trust and transparency that probably wasn't there in the past. Uh, yeah, people would work from home, and oh, yeah, you're working from home, I'm sure you're working from home. But now you see what our people and people around the globe have been doing working from home in some, you know, difficult circumstances. Um, you, you can't be the old-style leader or manager expecting people to be here at 9 o'clock and then finish at 5 o'clock and they're in the office and all that sort of stuff. So I think that's that's the new world of leadership, absolute implicit trust in your team and leaders to actually um, deliver what the business and what they need to do. So in kind of closing, you know, we're sitting here, it's early December um, and, you know, we're recording this podcast in uh, Sydney, we're socially distant, um, you know, but that must be a, um, you know, a big relief for you to be here. Um, how do you think this experience, um, you know, has changed, I guess, um, us as a company and the outlook uh, that we have? Yeah, I I'm just so enthusiastic by what the future holds. Like, I, I think for this company to survive what it has and the tumultuous time that it has over a very short space period of time in reality, um, to get through COVID and to come out the other side, and, and to be fair, we've, we've managed to keep most roles employed throughout that whole journey, which is, you know, in many industries hasn't occurred. We have this newfound resilience, this newfound camaraderie that's only going to hold us in greater stead for the future. Um, I, yeah, I think I've said earlier today in, in some other dispatches that I feel like now going into this new um, era, into the new uh, unlisted environment, that we are in control of our destiny and we have a lot more flexibility and capability and we're, you know, you've got a, an executive team and a, and a chairman particularly who is just that driven by success that um, it's going to benefit the entire organisation. And I truly hope that pe- people who have been here for a long time and, and ridden the, the down times are, are going to share in the upside very soon. So what are you most looking forward to in the year ahead? Uh, I think it's setting a new strategy and new direction. You know, we've, we've, we've sort of endorsed uh, a new strategy at board level, but now it's about particularly now being able to see people in face-to-face is be able to explain that. It's... I found it incredibly difficult to lead from a video screen. Uh, I, I, I much preferred the one-to-one interaction. But now, you know, coming into the Sydney office and seeing people that have actually got legs to um, um, engage with them, and I think you get that real sense. You can't. I don't. I, I could never find the sense of you, you couldn't read people. You can't read people through a screen. You sit in a room with thirty people around for lunch, and you can read them. Yeah. And I think there is a level of excitement and enthusiasm and opportunity that is ahead for everybody yeah it's, it's that connection isn't it it's, it's um yeah. the human to human connection which is what we're all about at IECL and uh you know it really does um make you uh, understand what you take for granted um in a very big way so um it, you know in a lot of respects although it's been terribly difficult uh you know it's probably the the very best year uh, for learning and for growth. So. Absolutely. And I, I doubt there's not anyone in the world that hasn't learned something about themselves or their leadership or management or whatever it is yeah. that's going to improve them into the future. 
So on that note, um, thank you, Clint, for your time and for sharing your insights and learnings with us. Um, it's been really fabulous chatting with you today and wish you all the very best for the year ahead. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. We hope you liked today's episode. If you'd like to get the next episode automatically, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We would love to hear from you. Please leave your feedback, questions, and a five-star review. Share this podcast with whoever you think would benefit from the topics we cover. Thank you to our hosts and special guests for the great insights gained in today's episode.